Hello, welcome to CIO Leadership Live Australia. I'm Cathy O'Sullivan, Editor-in-Chief for APAC for Foundry's flagship enterprise brands, CIO and CSO. Today on the show, my guest is Raul Caceres, Executive Director of Operations at Canteen Australia. Raul has featured numerous times in the CIO 50 Australia list, and it's an absolute pleasure to have him on CIO Leadership Live today. Hello, Raul. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Kathy, and thank you for having me. Great, great to finally get to chat to you after you featuring so many times in our CIO 50 list. Um, so to kick things off, can you tell us about your start? How did you get into IT and, and what, what has been your career path to date? Yeah, I actually studied chemical engineering originally, but I uh, always had an interest in computers and, and databases in particular. So I remember back in the 80s already getting into some coding using Commodore 64 computers, really things that a lot of people nowadays wouldn't even remember. But uh, yeah, I ended up doing chemical engineering and I was working in the F FMCG sector for, for about five years and I still had a, a big interest in seeing how data was going to be able to help different large multinationals improve operations. But, but on the side of that, I started doing some volunteer work for the United Nations through their online volunteering um, service of the United Nations. And, and at that time, sort of the, the concept of online communities was beginning to, to emerge. So this is before Facebook, before Twitter, before social media. And so this was quite innovative at, at the time. And, and one project that I did back then was in Sierra Leone. So I was working in, in, a, in New Caledonia, working for a company in Australia, and then bringing together in an online community volunteers from all over the world, trying to help a community that wanted to start a beekeeping enterprise. So that's how I sort of got the connection between operations, technology, and my interest in, in volunteering. And that project got an award from the United Nations back in 2006. And a lot of people and organizations around the world got really interested in wanting to know how is it that technology uh, could be used to bring people together online to help um, a completely remote community in, in, in West Africa. And so I found myself in a, at a point where I had to make a decision between do I keep going to different places to, to sort of tell people how this happened or, or really fully commit to, to trying to find ways to, to start using technology uh, for social good. So I decided to spend a couple of years just doing research, doing consultancies. And then after a while, I decided, yep, yeah, I think this area is going to start growing. And, and then I found myself working for different non-for-profits in different parts of the world, just trying to continue evolving this idea that technology could be used in, in ways that could really benefit the, the different community that we were trying to, to serve. And I haven't looked back since. It's been almost 20 years now since I started doing that kind of work. So clearly you really enjoy working for organizations that have a strong purpose and especially given all of your work in the not-for-profit sector. And Canteen, of course, it's a household name in Australia. But for those listening to us from, from elsewhere, can you give us an overview of the organization and what you and your team look after there? Yeah, so it's a weird. The only charity in Australia that supports young people 12 to 25 impacted by cancer. So we're fully dedicated to serving that 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 group and and that looks many different ways so we really tried to find every single thing that we could do to help young people as they're impacted by cancer because it affects young people in so many different ways so we do everything from psychosocial support services to programs 
uh, leadership programs, camps, um, clinical trials, anything that you can think about that could help improve um, the lives for young people that are impacted by cancer, as well as a long-term goal of, of seeing how we could improve the, the survivorship of, of this group, which is one of the ones that, that really has had the biggest challenges because there's, there's, there's not a huge amount of young people. When you think about cancer, it's usually people that are getting older or sometimes there's, there's the younger um, the children. So this particular group has some specific challenges that we're really trying to help solve in the, in the long term. And then how do, how do you and your team contribute to that, um, to that mission that Canteen has? Yeah, so that has actually evolved quite a bit over the last uh, five years. I, I think the, the way that I approach my work when I, when I join a, a new organization is to try and move the organization away from thinking about IT in a way of hardware infrastructure uh, networks and really try to imagine how is it that data and technology can help advance the mission more more directly. So my team for, for a nonprofit our, our size, we're about a 50 million annual revenue. And we have a team of about 14 people on the data and tech space. And we work across uh, three different areas. So, so we do all of the, the data and systems. So just making sure that we can create value from the data that we, that we, that we hold. So we have all of the supporters information as well as all of the information from the services that we provide. Then we have all of our digital infrastructure, so everything that's externally facing, our websites, our apps. So we have quite a few um, assets, digital assets on, on, on that side, including an online community. We provide online counseling, text counseling. Uh, we do telepresence with robots. So young people that are still in hospital um, that cannot attend school or that they're having to receive treatment from home, they're able to continue going to school by using a, a telepresence uh, robot. And then we have your more traditional uh, IT. So we really expand from just the traditional IT into other areas to see how we can uh, create more value from, from doing all of those things more directly impacting the, the communities we're trying to serve. Fascinating initiatives there. I love the fact that, you know, you're, you're looking at, you know, telepresence and, and, and robots and things like that for, for young people affected by cancer. So how has that digitalization journey um, been for you and the team at Canteen? What are some of the big initiatives? You, you touched on a few of them there that you've rolled out in the last few years. Yeah, it's interesting because I've, I've, what I have found is that when I apply for different tech roles in the non-for-profit, I tend to, I have to end up applying for like the more traditional IT. So I initially joined as an IT director, so that's what they were looking for at that point. And, and at that particular point in time, um, we were going through a, through a database migration, one of those that's going not, not too well, that is sort of creating headaches for everyone in the organization. And I had a particular skill on the technology that was being used. So, so obviously for me, it's always about how do we start from ensuring that we can keep the lights on, so fixing everything that may not be working well at that point and then start building up on top of that. So at that point in time, the main focus was to make sure that that migration finished working properly and slowly start building the confidence because people at that point didn't trust the data that was being stored in the, in the databases. And, we, and when you start from that point, I feel that just building that confidence becomes the, the most important um, element. So just trying to go back to, to basics and and trying to help the organization think about what are the key questions you want to make sure we're all confident we're answering in the in the proper way. And they're beginning to get a little bit, so a combination of getting really technical and then getting into talking to the stakeholders about 
their concerns and then slowly building a roadmap that helped us what I will what I would call democratizing all of the data that we were holding in the in the databases. So it really going away from the organization looking at the IT department as, as the team that they just send a list of reports that they need and then the, the team creates the reports and then sends them back and and that's the whole conversation that that we were having at that point to to move in a way and, and as building the tools for everyone in the organization to be the ones creating the reports and and really understanding what the data is telling them and and they're really now seeing us as um, more as an internal consulting group that so they can come to us earlier in the process where they're thinking about ways to use their data or use their technology in different ways so we can work together and how is it that we can create value from uh, from this. So we've gone through so moving all of our infrastructure to the cloud, through finishing uh, getting all of our descriptive analytics working, and we move all of our services. So once we finish with all of the supporters database that we then move on to our services database. We brought it all together so we can have a 360 view of all of our um, stakeholders. And then slowly start sort of introducing some of the more sophisticated um, prescriptive and, and analytics. So we started the very first thing that we did a few years ago was to start trying to do predictive income from our regular giving program, which brings most of our income, about 85% of our income from for the small donors that give us the same amount every month. So it's it's huge for us to be able to predict how much money we're going to be able to get. And because we had almost 15 years of data, that was a really interesting uh, uh, and a good case that I thought this could be a very good way to start to really prove to people that using data in the right way and, and making sure that the quality is correct, we can we can create some some interesting results. So we were able to prove from even year one that we were able to, to have a, a model that was 99.8.7 accurate. So pretty much we, we were on the spot and that really helped us start planning all of our um, service delivery at the same time because we had a lot of confidence that we were very clear about how much money we were able to bring to be able to deliver those services. And then from then on, it started slowly expanding the ways in, in how we were using some more sophisticated tools. So nowadays, we have quite a few models that we are using for different programs. So for regular giving, we started with and single giving and all of our um, plan giving. And so there's quite a few that we've been introducing, but then more and more teams are becoming more confident that, yeah, we can actually look at a model, even even it's at, at, at times, it might be models that are a little bit hard to understand why is this model telling me that I should be doing this? When people start seeing that, yeah, actually we can see the results and we're being able to do a lot of that in-house, then they can start trusting that more and more. But you really need to build those foundations first. That's fascinating that that model has had such success and um, particularly um, the high percentages there you're, you're, you're saying around the predictive modeling. And helpfully for anyone who's uh, listening to this and not watching it, um, Raul has a scan to support canteen QR code in his background here on Zoom. So make sure that you you scan and support if you are, are watching this. Um, so Raul, I'm really keen to know, um, you know, obviously um, there's the need for having cutting edge technology and, you know, you spoke earlier about um, telepresence and, and robots and things like that. But how do you balance that kind of need for pushing the envelope, trying out new things with, you know, the, the, the keeping the lights on, you know, maintaining existing IT infrastructure and, of course, legacy systems. How do you balance that, particularly when you've got a smaller team? Yeah, I think in my mind, 
Firstly, because in the non-for-profit space, we have to be so responsible with every single dollar that our supporters uh, give us. It's it's always about what are the ways in how we can maybe reallocate resources so that we can create in value while keeping costs at a, at a similar level or, or if the value that we're creating is really making it worthwhile to, to invest a, a little bit more. So I, I believe that it is critical to have very trusted partners for some of the areas. And then I feel that there are some areas that because they're so critical to the to what we do, that is better to bring them up in-house. So sort of that was part of the of the strategy. So anything that in my mind was using data or technology in a way that was going to more directly impact our our communities, then I started slowly bringing some of that in-house. And then some of the stuff that was a little bit more removed from that service delivery, then we were able to continue working with some of our trusted partners. So everything that's um, all of our networks, the hardware, um, some of our key pieces of software. So with that, we still keep working with uh, with trusted partners, but, but anything about how do we do our data engineering? How do we do our data science? Um, how do we create value from those different data sets? How do we create some of our most important digital assets like our online community where we deliver most of our digital services? So some of that stuff felt that it was going to be a lot more important to bring it in-house and and ensuring that we were able to, from day one, that you launch a new product, have it all integrated. So what's happening in the in the public facing side is already integrated to what's happening in the back office, which it does become a little bit harder when, when you're having to work with the, lots of different external parties that you need to bring together for that. And we still continue working with a lot of external parties, but, but it's some of those more critical elements of our strategy for me, it was very important to be able to bring it in-house and and what, what we've found is that cost has remained quite quite similar. So some areas it has increased a bit, in some areas it has decreased, but, but because we are a lot more efficient in how we use the data, because we now have fully automated every single pipeline that we have from data that's coming into, into our systems. Because as a, as a fundraising organization, you have to do so many little things to be able to, to raise the resources, to be able to, to support the young people. So you do need to work with a lot of different platforms to do community giving, to do Facebook challenges, to do a whole range of different things. So being able to bring all of that data almost real time and be able to create value from that information that we were collecting, it felt critical for me to be able to create those, those capabilities in-house that some other non-for-profits our size don't have, like data science, data engineering, and some more advanced business analysis, some, some of that stuff that I think have been able to make a real difference in how we do things. Now, look, 2023 was definitely the year where the buzzword was was Gen AI and AI. You couldn't move for for hearing about it. Do you see any opportunities for um, Gen AI within your organization? Are you exploring anything in that regard? Yeah, we did get into it quite quite early. So I, I did feel when I started seeing how things were quickly emerging that we needed to look into ways that we could start using it. So we have a few things that we already do and a few that we're sort of thinking about doing in the in the future. Some of the earlier ones that we started working on, I, I was very open to tell the, the team that that's a lot of the coding to make sure that we were getting into it and how we could use Gen AI to make us more, more productive. So people in the team were using, for example, Copilot from, from very early on. And that's been helping them um, get a little bit more productive and, and we were able to have sprints that, that cover more things just because they're able to 
to, to review the code faster. We, we for example, we, we do do a little bit of team augmentation with offshore developers. So we, we are able to also do a lot of QA of the code by hitting the uh, APIs and checking the code before the code goes into all of the other tests that, that it goes through. So we sort of, we have not removed anything or saying that we're going to remove a human with a with, with Gen AI, but we, we're sort of just helping people explore ways to, to become more more efficient in, in what they do and, and give us more confidence in some of the work that we are that, that we are doing. And then we sort of we've been starting to 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 explore a little bit um the idea of, of being able to help some of the people that are come to us to receive services to to do a little bit of more self-service support at the times where we may not be able to to talk to to them directly because it might be um, after hours. So to give an example, in many years ago, when we did some research around uh, people that care for cancer patients, a lot of the care is that they're so busy the whole day that sometimes when they are able to come online to check for things, it might be after midnight, and that's when we don't have people. But we were able to organize all of the information that we have in a way that that we can create models, that we can then make sure that the data, that the information that's being shared is being approved by us then then we will feel more more confident but we we do have to go through the process of creating the the confidence because the the biggest fear that people get is from yeah ai providing information that's not accurate so we're sort of working with foundational models that that help with all of the conversational elements of of what we see now that people get really interested in how chat utp sort of it's like having a conversation so there's some foundational models that we have started exploring and then seeing how we can then build on top of that, in just just information that we have checked, so that we can combine two and 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 see how that process might work. Yeah, that's such a great point because you know you are dealing with you know very vulnerable people who are going through a very traumatic event, and you know you of course want the information to be accurate and that it's there to support people at when they're when they're most at need. And look, another area I guess for any CIO, you know, obviously Canteen ha- um, has its um, has a lot of importance placed, and you, you spoke about this earlier on data. Um, so when it comes to security, then how do you ensure that the donor and user data in your systems, how do you ensure it's secure and privacy remains? Yeah, that has been such a huge change just in the past five years, as you probably heard from, from so many different people in in these type of roles. And, and 2023 was also for us a big year on, on cyber security. Um, I guess the positive element is, is that it's helped us um, unlock a little bit more resources to to be able to work on on this space and making sure that that we can keep the the information secure. So there's been a, a couple of things that that have been pretty cool for us. One has been expanding the number of AI models that we use to to predict, as an example, who are the best people for us to target for different different campaigns. I think in the past, most non for profits. Um, will will would have had to to send a good portion, if not the, their full database, to external supplier to be able to 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 run some of their their own tools to to decide who to target for different campaigns. So it sort of helped us accelerate some of that a little bit. So that now now we're actually not sending any any data to anyone external apart from some very small data sets for some very specific purposes like mailing or or things along along those lines. And we're able to do all of the rest of the work in house. So, so just and then when we send it that outside, just making sure that we don't send enough BII 
that it will create at any risk. So it's really, on the one hand, seeing how we could use technology to mitigate a lot of the risks that in the past would have created some, some opportunities for, for cyber attacks. And then on the other hand, as, as you probably know, all of the human element of, of um, keeping people more aware of, of the kind of things that, that they need, to, they need to, to keep an eye on. So for us, particularly because a good proportion of, of our staff are, are clinicians, um, I think um, at times, because there's a focus on, on that element of their work, it's a bit harder to, to, to have them um, thinking about all of the, the things that they have to do to stay safe. And because we're moving so much into the hybrid way of, of working, so it's been really about updating all of our tools so that we can have more integrated ways to protect um, our our users. So, so we do we did sort of feel that we needed to 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 elevate some of the approaches so that we we didn't get into situations. That I think uh, what's been interesting when sort of looking at the frameworks that we used to also be able to detect how much we're getting targeted, we found that in the past only about three out of every hundred emails. We're getting filtered with with some some sort of yeah spam, something along those lines, and then now it's gone up to about one in ten emails. So so it's just been getting a lot more targeted, and it's something I've been hearing across the whole non-for-profit space in in Australia that the, the the amount that we're getting targeted is increasing a fair bit. So we've been just having to to restrict access to some of our critical resources, and so you have to be connected to some of our security tools before we can give you access to some of the more critical information. And then doing a little bit of monitoring. So whenever anyone is trying to download particular fields or or a, or a mountain or a file that is large enough for us to get an alert, then we sort of talk to people just to try and understand what is the process that you're doing at the moment and how we can help you do it in a different way so that you don't have to to do that by downloading so much information about someone. And I feel that people are really on board. So I've been really grateful with everyone in the organization that had been really on board from, from day one because people have seen, I mean, it's in the news every day. So people know that if they don't really get on board with these, um, we can be the next organization in the, on, the, on the front page of a newspaper because we got we got attacked and we weren't able to protect ourselves from that attack. Yeah, certainly no one wants that at all. And so Raul, you spoke earlier about having trusted partners and how you're utilizing them within Canteen. Can you tell us from your perspective, what does a good partnership look like and, and what, what do you look at when you're when you're choosing technology partners? Yeah, I think I think for us a, a very important element when we're looking into a new project and we're beginning to talk to the people that 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 might be the prospective partners is they're showing from from day one that they're really interested in what we're doing and why we want to do things a particular way. So sort of on the one hand, seeing the importance of us of finding that balance between um, keeping the resources being spent in a very responsive way, while at the same time wanting to get the the best out of out of a tool that might be available there or a piece of piece of software. Um, it obviously it always helps when we get a, a pretty good discount. So I do I don't have a conversation with any partners without asking. So what are your nonprofit discounts? And it helps because it's uh, it sort of does when when I talk to partners they they do sort of talk about how working with organizations like us like makes them feel like like their work is is really having a a, a positive purpose and it and it helps them feel more more engaged. So I do find that even even though we might be a pretty small account compared to some of the bigger accounts that they have, they do tend to give us quite a bit of time. So we, we just catch up all the time and sort of looking at so what's coming next, are opportunities to keep our costs 
um, down and and um, so you you do get the sense that when when a partner is is really engaged from day one and that you can feel that there is a genuine interest in the work that we do and 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 sometimes people even just share that their own experiences with cancer or anyone they know which is pretty much everyone I think will will have someone close to them that might have been impacted by cancer then that relationship from the very beginning starts from a from a very positive positive place and then I do like to sort of talk to all of our partners regularly and. And, and making sure that 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 I get involved in that initial stage so that I, I can share why is it that we're wanting to do this and and then we can move into the actual implementation later on. So looking internally then, you know, how do you with 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 the small team, how do you foster a culture of collaboration and continuous learning to ensure you know you've got a, a thriving t- team at Canteen? Yeah, it's, it's been interesting because the as I mentioned, when I started, I started as an IT director, and then my role has changed a few times um, since since I started. So it moving to then be part of the exec and like a general manager of data and tech, and then more recently my role changed to be an executive director of operations. So what that's helped me with is it's um it's a lot easier for every every other department of organization to see that that we 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 should work um, in a collaborative way, even though what we do hasn't changed much. It's still really really much about how do we use data and technology um, in a way that impacts the, the young people that we serve? We're sort of bringing a couple more teams into the remit, so uh, finance, risk and compliance, legal. So a few things, but again, sort of trying to look for a similar approach where, where we can be seen as an internal consulting arm that that people can come to and, and just share anything that might be happening for them. And, and they know that we can help them structure some of those projects in a really good way, that we can find ways to to create value from day one that if they need to pretty much i think every project will have a data component anyway so it's really looking at so from the very beginning so what are the key questions we're wanting to answer from this project and how do from the beginning make sure that we're collecting the information so that we can answer those questions later on and and we've been doing things like for example creating product review committees we call them internally so as an example we may have um our online community as an example. So whenever we think about what should we do next with our online community, we have someone from research, we have someone from marketing, we have someone from services, we have obviously the data and tech team. And it's just about the idea that it's not about just making technical decisions, but about talking to every stakeholder that might be impacted by a decision and then working together to to decide what's next. And and we we are very um, sort of, we always make sure that the product owner is not someone in our team. It has to be someone in a different part of the org. And I think now from memory, we're running probably six or seven committees like this. And it's slowly even moving beyond some of the data and tech. So we're doing some work on finance and we're doing some work on, on risk and compliance, but sort of the model of being able to bring uh, groups that have members of different departments and then managing those in a, in a consistent way has been working really well for us. Great that you bring those different groups together and obviously they'll have different perspectives and just broadening that out then, you know, when it comes to diversity and inclusion, what kind of initiatives do you employ there at, at Canteen to ensure that, you know, you are getting people from a wide range of uh, communities or ways of thinking, not just into the IT team, but into the organization? Yes, and that's an, an interesting one as well because we are a, a membership organization. So it's that mem- young people are members, and then everything we do is informed and and, a, and and directed by by the young people. So there's a lot of different levels of governance and 
And then the young people that come to us, to the board and to the executive team to tell us, okay, this is, these are the things that we feel we should be working on. And diversity and inclusion is one of those that, that is really front of mind for, for young people. And, and, and so we, we're lucky that, that we, we are allocated resources to, to have a diversity and inclusion framework. So we have like a diversity and inclusion committee, and then we have the subcommittees. And then when we meet with the board, we talk about, we talk about that as well. And with some of the regulation as well, with some of the data that we now have to make available that is bringing some of that diversity and inclusion uh, front of mind. And, and so that has different components. We have our reconciliation action plan. We're now, this, this is gonna be our, our third year of working on our reconciliation action plan. And what I'm very excited about is that we're really going beyond just publishing a document. It's, it's really about how we're gonna change the way that we work with, uh, with um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. We're actually looking at and ways to, to be more appropriate in the way that we provide psychosocial support services to, uh, to those groups. And then, and then we're also getting um, um, accredited by getting the rainbow, rainbow thick as well, that to make sure that that the people that are from LGBTQI uh, communities can also feel safe and, and and that they're receiving appropriate services when they come to to the organization. So there's a bunch of other smaller initiatives that I know are very useful for us. I think when I when I'm interviewing for for roles. Um, I've really explained this to people, and it's something that really connects with everyone that is applying for for a role at the, at the organization. And I'm very lucky that I have a very low turnover in my in my team, it's only about a one person per year over the last four or five years, which which I've been very happy about because it's very different to what I hear from other colleagues. And and I think part of that is really seeing people as, as whole people, trying to understand from day one what is important for you. And I think what that, that concept of, of micro-accommodations of there might be someone who has small kids and they that this something is very important for them and for a different person what's flexibility for them is completely different so i always embrace flexibility and and then just the idea of bringing people that are really smart but also really culturally aligned and they really want to be here and, and they enjoy the work that they do every day absolutely and obviously feel they're making a difference to people's lives um every day when they come to work which is, which is great great purpose to have and um, so you know, you spoke there about um, the younger members um, having such a, a say in, in the organization, which is fascinating to hear. And, and just when it comes to, I guess, younger people and people who are starting out, what advice would you give to anyone who's working in IT and, you know, aspires to one day be an IT manager or a CIO or a CTO? What advice would you give them? Yeah, I think it's it's really important, and it's something that's worked for me really well to 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 embrace who you are as a as a leader. I feel like there's not just one way of of being a a leader. I think um I was recently talking to to someone to, from a community called the Mindful CIO community, and and it's something that really resonated with me. That is about leaders that go really beyond just the technical capabilities and and just try to be much more holistic in the way that we look at at, at leadership. So, so one, if you, I feel like if you identify what your strengths are and, and really focus on, on those to, to, to grow as a, as a leader and then slowly start work, working through, through the gaps that you may have identified, then you slowly start becoming more, more confident and more comfortable with, um, with the type of leader that you, that, that you want to be. I think there's always that, that thinking that, that IT leaders them to be introverted and they're, they're not good leaders because they're not they're not people uh, persons 
but I, but I really feel that that if we try to to embrace the idea of, of looking at tech leaders as more holistic people and and trying to be open to to more styles of leadership, not just one way of being being a leader, we'll be able to to bring more different types of people into leadership positions. I do feel that that there's an opportunity to, to improve the, the diversity of, of the leadership space in the in the in the technology world. But um, but I'm, I'm feeling hopeful that I feel that slowly I'm seeing more more people just sort of being more comfortable with with them being leaders and, and slowly taking those steps to to move in that direction. Absolutely, great advice, Raúl. And um, so we are one month into the new year. And um, what have you got in the pipeline for 2024? What's important to you in the months ahead? Yeah, I think. For this year, obviously, cyber was, is going to continue being a, a big thing uh, for us. Um, so we're we're looking into continue maturing in some of the areas that we've been we've been working. I think, as I mentioned before, now that my role has expanded, we're trying to bring a lot of the the financial data also into into a more um, democratized space. So trying to see how we can make all that data a lot more available to more people, real time, and and that's going to be quite a quite a bit of quite a bit of work. And, um, and we're also starting to to expand some of the work that we do to to offer services to other smaller non for profits as well, particularly in the data and tech strategy. So we go into smaller non for profits and help them understand how they could use the resources that they they have available to make the best use of the data and tech that they have in their in their organizations. And um, and then and then what else? Then we're all, yeah, we've been working the, the online community that I mentioned before. We we're beginning to move that into a SaaS offering. So we've been hearing from other non-for-profits, particularly being interested in in how this product works. So we're slowly uh, building the the rebuilding the back end of the tool that we can then offer it to other non-for-profits at a much lower cost than what they will get if they have to build something from from scratch. So a few a few projects in the pipeline for this year, definitely. Wow, that will keep you busy and great to hear that you're working with other organizations as well and how to uplift their capability. Great to hear that that collegiality that's going on in the not-for-profit space. Raul Caceres, Executive Director of Operations at Canteen, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me, Kathy.